Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of the Vice Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Berkman. From time to time, I'd like to take a break from the usual format of the show to have little extra credit segments, for lack of a better term. These episodes will be dedicated to moments, people, places, and things that are either too small or too large to fit in a vice presidential profile, but however are worth sharing as they help provide a clearer and fuller picture of historical events. Although seemingly broad in their scope, these episodes will all involve our favorite governmental office, which is vice president in case you already forgot, somehow. So don't worry, I'm not going to veer off and create a whole new show here. In this first extra credit segment... I'd like to talk about music and how one song written for George Washington really says everything you need to know about the vice presidency. When I began sending the rough versions of the podcast to friends and family for their notes, a comment I often got was, what's that piece of music you used to start the show? And why don't I start off with something presidential like Hail to the Chief? Or at least something patriotic like God Bless America? I mean, this is an American history podcast after all. Well, in my defense, I sort of did play something that not only accomplishes both things, but manages to reinforce the whole reason I'm doing the show in the first place. The fact that most people, A, don't know the song, and B, don't know the song has anything to do with the president at all, is kind of analogous about the futility of the vice presidential office. So for all those reasons and more, I picked Hail Columbia as the theme for the podcast. So since I'm making such a big deal about it, Let's get some background on this song and find out why it's so important to defining the vice president. It's hard to believe, but America didn't have an official national anthem until 1931. Up until that point, the United States used a variety of songs interchangeably. One of the oldest and the most popular was Hail Columbia. The song was written in 1789 as an instrumental by songwriter Philip File and was originally titled The President's March and was entered into a competition to find a song for George Washington's inauguration, which it won, by the way. So right from the get-go, this song has a presidential association to it. In 1799, about a decade later, words were added to the tune by future Congressman Joseph Hopkinson and retitled Hail Columbia. Personally, I think the words and music add up to a rather stirring tune that drive home important American ideals like brotherhood, self-sacrifice, and remembrance that freedom is a gift which needs defending. Just, just good patriotic stuff. And unlike some of our other anthems, it's a complete American original, and not a rip-off of an English drinking song like some others you might know. You're probably wondering, why didn't Hopkinson call the song Hail to the George, or Hail to the Presidents, when writing words to it? I mean, that's who it's supposed to be about. Well, long before there was Uncle Sam, there was Columbia, the female personification of the United States. Columbia was yet another overture from our founding fathers to give our new country a classical feel by assigning it a Greek-esque goddess to define it, much like fabled Athens and Athena. Although not talked about as much as she once was, Columbia is still an important part of our history and has given us the names of several things that we either see or talk about nearly every day, like Columbia University, CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System, Columbia Pictures, and their logo. Yep, she's the one holding the torch up. Washington, D.C., which is the District of Columbia. And as a more contemporary and dorky reference, the idealistic country of Comstock's creation in Bioshock Infinite. So, if this song is so great, old, 
full of history and important to so many people, why do most Americans, well, actually most of the world, know Hail to the Chief instead of Hail Columbia? Easy. It's due to the fact that things like illegal usage of copyright materials for fun and profit is a tale as old as time. To be fair, Hail Columbia never really had a chance, because Hail to the Chief went on a rocket ride of popularity almost immediately after it was written. Real number one with a bullet kind of material. For a song so attached to American patriotism, Hail to the Chief started its life very far from the United States. In 1810, the conductor of the Surrey Theater in London, a man named James Sanderson, was hoping to cash in on the popularity of Walter Scott's hit poem, The Lady in the Lake, by setting several contos to music. The most enduring of these sections was The Boat Song, which includes the line, Hail to the chief who in triumph he advances. Sanderson wasn't the only one out to make a quick buck, and soon plays based around The Lady in the Lake, which reduced a complicated historical plot to a rather predictable and simplistic melodrama sprung up all over Europe. Gotta love book adaptations, right? They're just, they're just always good. By the time word reached Scott, the popularity of the songs and plays was too much to derail. Also, even though it was an illegal use of his copywritten work, it kept Lady in the Lake flying off the shelves, so who was he to complain? Eventually, in 1812, America got into the act as New York staged March and Chorus in the dramatic romance of The Lady in the Lake. The show and its many, many road company versions were popular, which led to the publishing of its sheet music, which in turn ended up in homes all throughout America, and therefore spread the word even further. How does the president come into all this, you're probably wondering? Because up until now, Hail to the Chief just sounds like a song that people like and nothing more. The first ever formal association with the presidency occurred on July 4th, 1828, when Hail to the Chief was played upon the arrival of John Quincy Adams at the opening of the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal. As far as we know, Adams didn't request the song. It could have been something as simple as playing a popular song to get people's attention, sort of like Hotline Bling or Firework. Man, what a dark timeline that would be if that caught on instead. Well, I mean... It happened once before, so who says it can't happen again? I mean, Kanye mentioned he wanted to be president after all. So uh, stay tuned for that. Anyways, ever the populist, Andrew Jackson understood the public's liking for Hail to the Chief and used it upon his inauguration a year later in 1829. Jackson's successor in the office, Martin Van Buren, decided to do the same thing. Well, to be honest, Jackson just probably told him to do it. The song continued its use when the next president in line, John Tyler, employed it as well. Although, he didn't make the choice on his own either. Hail to the Chief was used upon the insistence of his second wife, Julie, who thought it should be used to formally announce the president. Julie Tyler was said to have enjoyed the regal bombast of the song and loved how it commanded the attention of all that heard it. These words reached yet another wife of a future president, this time Sarah Polk. Sarah had a problem. Her husband, James K. Polk, was amazingly smart and a driven person who had big plans for the country, but he was shy and short and therefore would often enter rooms unnoticed. Deciding that the president should never have this happen, she asked that Hail to the Chief with flourishes and drums be played at every appearance of the president, even when he entered a room. Polk, by the way, went on to accomplish all of the goals he set up for himself in one amazing term. 
For a quick summary on Pokesteeds, you can either open up Wikipedia and give it a brief read, or you can look up the song James K. Polk by They Might Be Giants, which actually sums up his career quite well. You can add to Polk's accomplishments, Hail to the Chief as we know it today. Well, really, it should go to Julia Tyler and Sarah Polk. So every time you hear the song when the president appears, think of those two ladies. The country wouldn't be the same without them. Now, before we get too carried away, not everyone loved Hail to the Chief. President Chester A. Arthur hated it so much that he asked noted March leader John Philip Sousa to write a new song entitled The Presidential Polonaise. The reason you've never heard of that one is, is well, I could lie to you and say it was something else, but, but really it was because everyone hated it. Okay, that's why. In fact, the very moment that Arthur left office, the tune was removed from use and has never officially been used by a president since. Nice job. Good song there. During this massive popularity of Hail to the Chief, where was Hail Columbia? I mean, it's the song we're talking about after all. Of course it was around and performed on occasion, but it was beginning to lose some of its steam and be considered, well, old-timey. The lowest point for Hail Columbia was in 1918, when an immigrant from Russia named Irving Berlin authored and released arguably the most patriotic song of the entire 20th century in God Bless America. This caused Hail Columbia to fall even further from the minds of American citizens. In 1931, President Harry S. Truman made things official, and Hail to the Chief became the song of the President of the United States. Also, the Star-Spangled Banner got a promotion up to National Anthem. So, where was Hail Columbia when they were handing out promotions and raises? Well, this is the song that was used by George Washington and was written for him. It's our oldest anthem. We can't seemingly just throw it out with the trash and let it never be heard again. Well, the government elected to do the next best thing and made it the official song of the vice president. That's right, Hail Columbia is even used today by someone other than me. So the next time you see Joe Biden or or any future vice president on TV, you'll more than likely hear it faintly in the background just before they appear. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that Hail Columbia and the vice president are linked by far more than the official decree that joins them. Each of them are viewed as relics from a bygone era that have seemingly outlived their usefulness, but yet we can't seem to get rid of due to tradition. Both things are but an echo of power and a remembrance of prestige. They are scraps and leftovers, something great that has been put on the back burner, which I think applies to vice presidents as a whole. The men that have taken up this office come from many different parts of the country and just as many backgrounds. However, in virtually every situation, the job is a step down. People that were used to being decision makers and power brokers were reduced to a shadow of their former selves. Sure, a few vice presidents would use the office as a stepping stone to their own presidency, but for many, this is as high as they would ever climb. The reward for a lifetime of service and the milestone of their career was complete and utter futility. Well, that's a pretty neat song if you ask me. Do yourself a favor when you have the time. Line them up. Hail to the Chief, Hail Columbia, God Bless America, the Star-Spangled Banner, and hell, even the presidential holidays if you're feeling crazy and give them all a listen, you might just surprise yourself on which one you like more. In fact, I'd love to hear from you fine folks on that very topic. How would you break the songs up? Which one should be the national anthem? Which one belongs to which governmental office? Or simply, what's your ranking of them 1 through 6? 
please send that and other insightful historical things or opinions on the show over to me by email using vppodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts and maybe even read some of them out on a future episode if you don't mind. And with that, I think we're going to wrap up this first ever extra credit episode. I think it went pretty well, by the way. Hopefully, you'll drop by for the next episode when we get back on track by talking nothing but vice presidents with no derailments and no rants. Well, okay, we'll be focusing mostly on vice presidents, but the, but the no rants thing, well, that I can't promise you. Until then, I've been Dan Berkman, this has been the Vice Potential Podcast, and you have been a great audience. Good night, everybody.